Hey everybody, uh, real quick before we get into the episode for You Play We Don't with Brandon Miller, just want to thank our sponsors, Roughneck Scarves. Uh, check those guys out, roughneckscarves.com, your home for um, MLS, USL, uh, your club. You can even have them make scarves for you for fundraisers and things like that. Really quality people, really quality scarves. Uh, roughneckscarves.com, like I said, go check them out. Also, huge thanks to the Beautiful Game Network of Podcasts, which we are... are always so proud to represent and be a part of and be heavily involved in. Um, Mike is, is the reason that you're listening to these podcasts in, in more ways than one. He's the guy that I send all these off to and then they get uploaded. So big thanks to him. Uh, check out the whole network, bgn.fm. Also check out um, our written side of things. Uslnews.com is the direct link to that. Um, and then on Twitter at the BGNFM or at USL written or sorry, at BGN written. Uh, our guest this week, uh, Charlotte Independence goalkeeper Brandon Miller, um, former Rochester Rhino, former um, Harrisburg City Islander. Not only is he, you know, consistently a number one goalkeeper in the USL, he also has time to run his own business. Uh, plug him, check him out. DVO two six spelled out, so it's D V O T W O S I X on Twitter, as well as uh, check out Prime Focus Goalkeeping, Prime Focus GK on Twitter as well um really solid guy really laid back i've said multiple multiple times i love talking to goalkeepers and brandon was no exception so i'll stop talking only the continued talking um hope you enjoy the episode and we'll uh, we'll talk to you soon take care good now or whenever i can i mean i'll figure it out <laughs> cool um i uh, i joke around with i talked to prosper um, who's one of the steel guys that like I do a, a like cold open for these so I don't actually know how to intro because I've already said who you are and like f- like geeked out over who I'm talking to um, <laughs> so like um, Brandon what's going on man not much honestly uh, I actually just got back to my place was working with a couple youth goalkeepers uh, tonight so got a session in with them which was good you just always have to always have to be working with or being a goalkeeper i feel like it's a theme in your life here honestly recently <laughs> i've noticed a lot like i everything i do is just surrounded with goalkeeping i go to practice i play goalkeeper i work with the brand it's a goalkeeping brand i do coaching like try and help the youth it's all yeah. about goalkeeping so uh, you know that's just where it is right now and i mean i'm enjoying it so that's the important thing it's all that matters right yeah yeah so i mean i I don't want to jump around too much. I took notes, so let's let's. You're a Charlotte kid, so you're kind of back in in your hometown now, so to speak, which is probably kind of a surreal experience for you. But um, one of the questions that we got on Twitter, and one that I'm always interested about, was you know, a did you did you grow up playing soccer, and then b, what led you to, or when did you kind of figure out that you were actually a, a goalie? Yeah, I, I grew up playing soccer. I started when I was probably like five years old. My uh, my dad, who's who's now deceased, but he started me in soccer. And so I guess it was one of those things where I always felt like I wanted to, you know, keep that going for him. But when I was five, I remember I played in the field. I loved scoring goals and running around. <laughs> but then I feel like like every other goalkeeper, probably like eight or nine, I started realizing like running is not really my thing. And so I was kind of like, I was, I was somewhat athletic and I was just tired of running. So I was like, let's go on the goal and see what we can do. So, I mean, 
it worked out obviously i was i was pretty decent um and it's it's helped me have a long career in soccer which is which i've enjoyed but uh it for me it wasn't really like oh i saw the goalkeeping position and i was like oh yeah that's where i need to be it was more so uh i'm not really feeling all this running and I want to continue playing soccer, so let's see what goalkeeping is like. I, I feel like you're a man of the people for answering with, I really just don't like running. <laughs> because I, I mean, that's a very common theme with at least me personally. Um, you you got to be honest, you know? You I do, mean, it's true, it's true. I, I appreciate it. That that's just it's it's I've never never been into running in terms of just straight fitness or any type like even when I play other sports I, I love playing basketball but I'm more of like a half court three v three kind of <laughs> kind of guy we start playing full court and I'm gonna give you a full a few few sprints up the court and then I'm like nah nah we'll uh, we'll call it a day at that that's good that's good um, it's also kind of ironic because I I feel like you know keepers in some ways are the most athletic guys on the pitch. And here you are saying, you know what, that whole running thing, not not for me. You know, you're like, I can jump all day, but running, not. Well, that's that's the thing. I'll, in on pretty much any team I've been on, yeah. uh, was when I was in Rochester, I remember I had a few races with a couple of guys because they questioned my athleticism. And I pride myself <laughs> on being one of the most athletic guys on the team. But mm-hmm. I'm going to give you a half field sprint and then I'm done. Okay. I'm not. Yeah, I'm not well, going a mile. You know, un- unless fair. unless you're the Vegas keeper, really, no one's expecting you to come up past <laughs> the halfway line. So I, I think you're you're right on the money. I mean, he's got the freedom to go wherever he wants, he does. and, and I does. love it. I love that. If only you know we all applied that to our lives. Um, so you you know you you come up, you go to the dub, for people not aware, University of North Carolina Wilmington. I did some Google. <laughs> <laughs> um, allegedly, your college stats, you ended up with a 1.27 goals allowed average and eight clean sheets. Uh, you're also a a fellow uh, alumni with, with Brad Dighton, which is exciting. Yes. Uh, not at the same time, but it was the same school. Um, so, you know, what was college like for you? And, and then what was kind of your... Um, you know, path to get to Rochester because you signed right to them when you got out. Was there any look from MLS or was there any, you know, interest on their end or your end or how did you end up in, in Rochester? Or, you know, before that, what was the college soccer scene like for you? Uh, honestly, that's a great question. Um, so I went to college like most other goalkeepers, or even soccer players in general, thinking like I want to go in freshman year, I want to start, take over the college scene, mm-hmm. like and absolutely kill it. And that didn't happen. Um, I played 15 games my first three years. I was I went to UNC Wilmington knowing that there was another goalkeeper. He was a year older than me. Uh, Brock Duckworth, very good goalkeeper, won a couple of youth national championships. So uh, I went in and I was just thinking, compete with him, beat him out, take the spot. That didn't really happen. Um, I mean, on the field, I was performing pretty well. I had a couple things off the field that held me back, uh, especially my sophomore year. And so, I mean, I just ended up playing 15 games in uh, in three years. I did pretty well over that time, but mm-hmm. I was just always stuck behind uh, behind Brock. So my senior year, uh, honestly, I was I went into the year hoping, you know, maybe I can have a good year and, and squeak something out in terms of a professional game. But I wasn't crazy optimistic about it. 
but then uh you know I, I went through the year it was really up and down we had a young team we just weren't performing i wasn't performing the way i wanted to so i didn't really think much much after the season but then i, I ended up getting a couple end of the season awards and my coach came in to me one day and he was just like hey i've got this uh, connection in rochester and he's interested in bringing you up there to play so, and i was like well i mean i have my degree might as well test out the soccer waters and if it doesn't work out i can you know fall back on that marketing degree so uh that's how i got to rochester jesse he knew my coach he had seen me play in college i'd, I'd done pretty well when he saw me play so he was like yeah i'll bring you up here and and you know be a backup behind the guy we already have but to just try and get you to develop and, and see where it goes so that's pretty much how i got up to rochester and, and you know spent four up and down years there and mm -hmm. obviously ended in, with a high but um it was i'm 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 glad I went up there, but at the same time, I look back at it and I kind of made the decision. Uh, I made the decision pretty quickly after my s senior season was over, mm. and I didn't really test the waters anywhere else. I mean, I didn't have any any MLS interests that I knew of. I didn't go to mm. any combines. It was mm. basically like I was presented with a contract a couple of weeks after my season was over, and I was like, "All right, I'll do it." Okay. Yeah, I mean, you know, and that's one of those things where, um, I don't know. I, I feel like a lot of the guys you hear about, or at least a lot of the guys that I've interacted with, are always like, yeah, you know, I went to the Combine, or either that, or actually, um, at least a lot of the guys on Bethlehem, it seemed like they picked up little knocks or something right before the Combine and didn't necessarily go. So, um, you know, you know, I think a lot of people look at it and they say, well, you know, why would you take the first deal that's kind of thrown in front of you? But at the same time, you don't really know if you go to a combine that there's one, you know, that you're going to get drafted or that there's going to be a deal that follows or anything like that. So, I mean, you know, um, I think for you it was, and obviously you're here. So if I'm wrong, jump in, but you know, trying to make the best of a situation that you knew as opposed to, you know, putting yourself out there and putting more work into something that wasn't necessarily a given. If that makes sense. Yeah. I think it's like you said it's a gamble but if it, something I've learned over the years especially the past two years with starting this uh, goalkeeping brand prime focus goalkeeping mm -hmm. it's like you got to gamble on yourself and um, mm -hmm. I actually had the conversation with a goalkeeper down in Orlando City on our first podcast um, about basically he did the same thing where it was like he had options this past off season to play at the USL level with like quality teams, good contract, paid good money, going to be a starter. But his goal was MLS. It's always been MLS mm. since I've known him, his rookie season. And he was like, I'm going to gamble on it. I want to take a chance. And it's an unknown, but if I sign an MLS, I know that I can compete and, you know, hopefully turn into an, a number one one day. And I think that's one thing I've learned over the years. And looking back at that Rochester situation, I mean, I, don't get me wrong. I'm grateful for the time I had in Rob Fester, and it was it helped me in my career. I was successful there at some point. But you look back, and it's like, do you gamble on yourself a little bit more? Gamble on the talent that you have, and just believe in yourself that you can make it to a level uh, a little bit higher than where I started. Mm. Yeah. So you you sign for Rochester. You come in. Um doing some frantic googling here because i think i know no yeah 
Okay. So, uh, at least in 2014, you were behind John McCarthy, which I figured. But, you know, what was... Obviously, you know, right out of college, you're not the number one guy. That's a pretty rare thing to have happen. But, you know, time goes on. You know, you, you, you get reps. You get used to the team. You have a unbelievable breakout year in 2015. Um, but, I mean, I guess, you know, before that, take us kind of through the mindset of a number two keeper maybe or, or, you know, whatever you were for the Rhinos at that time. Obviously, there's work that goes in before you have that breakout year in 2015 that I don't think a lot of people know about or that's not necessarily, you know, glamorous or anything like that, right, being the number two. <laughs> Um, you know, so, so what's going through your head there? And, and well, I, I guess I don't want to go to the second part of the question because we'll touch on it. But, you know, what's, what's the mindset leading up to 2015 and those two years or so that you were there, you know, just kind of as a number two behind some other guys and Johnny? Well, the, the thing for me was always I wanted an opportunity to prove myself. The first year I only played one game. I was sitting behind Christian Nitsch, and he played. I mean, he's a veteran. He played in the Bundesliga, played at a high level in Europe. So I didn't, you know, honestly didn't expect to come in and, and take his job. And he played well that season, won goalkeeper of the year. So I knew I wasn't going to get a lot of time there. And then, you know, he came back the second year. So it was kind of the same thing. Um, but for me, it was like I wanted the opportunity to prove myself, either that I can do this or I can't do this. And, you know, 2012 happened. That was my rookie season. 2013, we ended up having a coaching change. Things were just crazy in the locker room. I played probably three games that year, but it was just a tough year for everyone involved. And then, you know, going into 2014, we have another coaching change. I'm out of contract. I'm coming off a of shoulder surgery. So, like, there's a lot of things behind the scenes people don't really know about. They just sure. know, like, you're coming back to a team that you've already been on. Well, I was coming off surgery, literally had surgery in December and was still rehabbing when preseason started, going into a season where I'm uh, playing for a coach that I'd never met before. Mm -hmm. He'd never seen me play before. So he was like, you can come into preseason, uh, prove yourself, and, you know, maybe we'll work something out. Uh, so I ended up coming in preseason, did well. They offered me a contract, but they had already signed John, and they had to deal with the Revs. So mm -hmm. basically they got a goalkeeper on loan from the Revs too, Louis Sofner. So I'm in 2014, after being a backup for the previous two years, yep. I've turned into a number three where I'm not even, you know, making the game day roster. So right, I went right. through a whole season, you know, I was playing pretty well as, as well in, in training. Like every day I was pushing the, the other two guys. The coaching staff was impressed with me. I, I was happy with where I was at. I just wasn't getting any opportunity. So mm -hmm. going into 2015, my my goal going to preseason is like I want to get that number one spot or I want to I want to at least get more playing time and like I was playing for a coach Bob Lilly who likes to play two goalkeepers anyway mm -hmm. so yep. I'm knowing at, at worst I can be a backup and get significant I mean eight nine games at least right. um, but it's it's kind of the thing where you know. It's, little things happen that can change the whole trajectory of your career. And so, like, they brought in a goalkeeper from Scotland. Uh, his name was Murdoch, Sean Murdoch. And they, they basically signed him to be the number one. But it turned out his paperwork didn't go through until, like, the second or third week of the season. Mm. Well, 
somebody had to start the season, you know. So I end up starting the first two, three games of the season. I do well. And by that time, I mean, Bob was like, you're going to be the number one. And, uh, you know, we'll let the other guys battle out for, for the job behind you. And, mm-hmm. I mean, I was fortunate enough to play 21, 22 games that season and have a pretty good year. So, like, you know, it's it's little things like that that can, you know, if his paperwork goes through two weeks earlier, who knows where uh, where I ought to be today or where yeah, I ought to be seriously. that season. The, uh, the butterfly effect, as it were, right? Exactly. <laughs> Oh, it's crazy. Oh, uh, in case people don't know, by the way, if you're, if you're listening and, and you're not super familiar with the ins and outs of goalkeeping in terms of who plays when, to have nine games as a number two is well, more common now, I guess, with all the MLS two sides popping up and playing probably two or three keepers a year. But, I mean, you know, to be a standalone team with two goalkeepers playing, you know, half the games is is crazy right if you're not in a bob lily system it's not as common yeah um so yeah i mean we'll talk about it 2015 and i was trying to dig around because i don't know if if mitch hildebrand or or, uh which one is it diego restrepo broke either of your records but 0.64 goals allowed average 13 clean sheets in 2015 uh, you get goalkeeper of the year, and then what probably means a little bit more for for you, um, the regular season championship as well as the USL Cup that year. Um, you know, what's it like being the goalkeeper for for a team that goes on and wins the whole thing? And then, you know, is there any part of your your year where you're going, man? I'm really not letting guys pass me. Like I should. Like, are you are you keeping track of clean sheets at that point, or do you just kind of go to the end of the season and then, you know, someone tells you, "Hey, you got 13, and you're like, "Great." Uh, I'll be honest. I wasn't really paying attention to it until someone started mentioning there was a record. <laughs> um, honestly, I didn't. I didn't really care about it. Sure. I just remember going into every game like I had the confidence that we were going to win. And obviously, as a goalkeeper, you don't want to let in goals. But right. Uh, right. I think the USL helps a lot with that. Their mm-hmm. marketing team posting the you know the the Golden Glove race um, every now and then, and then mm-hmm. they started talking about the record. So I was like, you know, we might as well go for it. So uh, I think towards the end of the season, yeah, it it honestly was a little bit of a burden. I felt I felt relieved. I remember the night that we broke it. I was just like, good, that's over with. <laughs> like, let's. Let's win a championship now. Mm-hmm. Like I don't, I re- didn't really want to focus on it too much. But yeah. I mean, it, it feels good to to have the record. But I mean, even now, it, it's going to get broken soon, and <laughs> I, I could care less about that. Fair enough. Yeah. Um. Yeah, and, you know, I I, th- I think I think you're the first USL Cup winner we've had. Pretty sure, um, or at least you're the first USL Cup winner that played a major part in. Um, you know, winning winning the title, um, and obviously you've been back in the postseason since. Um, you know, what's it like to to get there and to win the trophy? I mean, obviously, it's it, you're not gonna. I would be stunned if you're like, oh, it's terrible. Um, <laughs> but uh, you know, you know, what's it like being that guy, and then you know, to get kind of some of that, you know, veteran leadership and things like that that come with it, because you're by no means, you know, the oldest guy on on the field at any given time. 
uh, but you're a guy that's you know definitely been there and can definitely help people that haven't. Well, to the first part of the question, I mean, obviously, like you said, it's a great feeling winning right. a championship, um, but it's tough. You know, it's 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 a hard grind, and that especially the way we did it, where we were pretty much the number one team for most of the season. So teams are coming at us every single game, and I remember. Like we played Louisville like four times that season, and they were just—it was those were just the hardest battles of the season. Um, but we're getting everybody's number one shot. But I remember the big—the big memory I have is—is is the week before the championship game. Uh, just knowing that feeling and knowing like you're one of two teams left training. Like everybody else is at home. Uh, they're packing up their stuff. They're just sitting in their living rooms and we're out on the training field. And, you know, you got the camera crews all out there. You got the USL head guys heading over to your city, like getting set up, trying to trying to get everything ready for that last game of the season. So, I mean, it was it was an amazing feeling. And uh, it's it's definitely something I'm never going to forget. But in terms of that that veteran leadership, it's it's interesting because the year after I went, or we won the championship, I went out to Orange County, yep. and that the year we won the championship was my first year being a starter, being right. a full time number yep. one, and I signed on Orange County be a number one. And I remember the first meeting we had right before practice. Uh, one of the coaches like looked to me and was like talking about the veteran leadership. He's won a championship, you know, he has experience, blah blah blah. And I'm sitting there like. I've literally played like 25 games in my career <laughs> over four years. Like, it, do I have right. the championship experience? Yeah, but like I wasn't considering myself a veteran at that time because I hadn't really mm -hmm. played. That I was a one-year starter. Um, so it was interesting Like after winning that championship how the perception of me as a player, as a player in the USL um, changed a bit. Mm. Yeah, for sure. Um and I think especially, too, like to throw around the word veteran for, I mean, you were only, what, like 25, 26 at that point? Like, I don't think that's something that you really think about at that age in terms of being a veteran guy. Depe I mean, depending on who you play for, I guess. I mean, we have teams in the league now that are playing, you know, 16-year-olds, like, like 10 of them at a time. But, you know, there's something about that's always funny to me where it's like, yeah, he's a, he's a veteran leader. And I'm like, that guy's my age. Like, he can't be. Right. I, I think it's thrown, the word is thrown around, or the phrase is thrown out a lot. Um, and a lot of it just depends on, I guess, the experience that you have and, I guess, your perception of the league. Mm. Yeah. Um, and then you, you mentioned it a little bit, but, I mean, the last, I guess, three years for you have been a little little transient. You've been kind of all over the place. Um you know, what, what led to the moves to Orange County and then to, at the time, Harrisburg City Islanders? And, and then, you know, um, what what led to you coming back home and, and being able to, you know, play soccer in your hometown again? Uh, well, honestly, the move out to Orange County was interesting. Because um, at the time, Orange County had just won the West. They were they right. finished first in the West. Um but honestly, I didn't know a lot about the team. I didn't know a lot about the coach. I just uh, was going off what I had heard. And, uh, I mean, some of it, honestly, wasn't soccer motivated, which probably wasn't the best move on my part. Um, but 
you know, Southern California going to the number one team in the West. I felt like it. I'd done four years in the Eastern Conference, done four years in Rochester. I felt like I'd done everything I could over there. So I figured, why not move across the country? Um, I have friends in California. Uh, some of my best friends live in California. So I was like, why not, you know, be around them, be in Southern California, and hopefully yeah. have another good year. Um, so it wasn't all soccer motivated, which I think affected my performance, my career a bit, but, you know, can't look back and, and regret it now. It was an experience and, uh, it's definitely helped me get to where I am right now. Uh, but the move to Harrisburg for me, it was mainly about playing time. Um, I was coming off, uh, what would, what can be described as a bad year in Orange County and, I didn't really have the offers I was hoping for in terms of being a number one, money-wise, things like that in the league. So I went with what I thought was the best option in terms of playing time, in terms of money, being able to take care of myself um, off the field. So uh, I went with Harrisburg. And, I mean, it wasn't a terrible year. It was it was up and down. I had some things off the field that affected me. Um, but... Mm. Uh, overall, I, I can't complain too much about the year. Um, they did their best as an organization, and I, I, I tip my hat to them for that. But after that year, I was kind of like, you know, I'm, I'm tired of moving around. I, I miss my family. I, I've got things off the field in Charlotte that uh, I would like to take care of. So mm. I was like, you know what, it's, it's time to go home. It's time to go back to Charlotte, regroup, um, find my place in the team and then, you know, just find my way off the field. Uh, I've got some businesses that I have to take care of and, and things off the field that I have to do. So I was like, I think this sure. would be the best move for me. So um, uh, I guess the last, you know, USL, well, central question that I have, then I have one about the, uh, the prime focus thing and then we'll go to the Twitter questions. You've been in usl and you've seen usl from 2012 to now which is longer than i think a lot of people have known the league has existed um you know how interesting has it been for you to see the league grow from from your perspective as a guy that's played you know for or been around the organization for that many years um and then maybe what's you know one thing specifically that you can point to that's kind of blowing your mind as far as where the league is now compared to where it was in, in 2012 or even, you know, 2015 <laughs> or last year. I don't know. It depends. I mean, honestly, it's just the number of teams. Um, it's gone from, I don't know. I think we had like 12 teams when I was coming in or when I came in and right. yep. now we're well over, over 30 and it's spread out over the entire United States. Um, yep. we're split Eastern conference, Western conference. The, the competition level is so much higher than, than what I remember when I, when I was coming in and we're not playing in high school stadiums anymore. You know, we're playing in, and mm. some soccer specific stadiums. Some of these baseball stadiums are pretty nice. Um, so in, in terms of like what's mind blowing, it's just the the pure exponential growth uh, mm. in terms of the number of teams, and and it's not just uh, low quality teams coming. I mean, and you've got 
you've got great organizations coming in that are that are pushing everybody in the league to be better. So I think that's that's nothing but positive for the league. I mean, hopefully on the player side of things, um, in terms of how clubs treat their players, there's still yeah. some improvements that can be made there. Sure. But hopefully, you know, over the next year or two, um, things will definitely definitely get better on that end. Yeah. Um, and then I guess you like to make things a little bit harder on yourself because not only are you, you know, more or less a number one keeper in USL, you went out and started your own brand and your own, your own business, uh, prime focus goalkeeping or prime focus GK, I suppose. You know, how did that start? What was that like? How did it come about? Kind of take me through, you know, why in the prime of your career, you're, you're starting a, a goalkeeping brand. Well, for me, it started when I was in Orange County. Um, I started talking with one of my teammates, and he kind of put the bug in my ear. He was doing something similar uh, with his own brand. Um, but I was—I had a glove deal in Orange County. It was a—it was a good glove deal, especially for you. It's a goalkeeper, um, getting paid to play. Or, getting paid to play and getting paid to wear goalkeeper gloves you can't really uh you can't really beat that so i had a great deal but for me coming off the year that i had i felt like i wasn't getting the the marketing push to in order to further my personal brand um and so i just started thinking a little bit more and i was like how how do i market myself so that uh my profile is a bit bigger and i was like well why not start a business? Why not, instead of relying on someone else to market you, why not market yourself? And I thought about different ways I could do that. And then I was like, well, you know, you could start your own brand and not only market yourself, but be more immersed in goalkeeping where you can actually help other people as well. So I felt like it was the best way to, to reach the masses in terms of, of goalkeeping. Um, and it, I just felt like it was, I've always wanted to own my own business. So I felt like, why not start a business with something that you're good at and something that you love? So that's kind of the, the mind behind it, the thought process behind it. And uh, I mean, it's grown into, I mean, we're not massive mm -hmm. yet, but it's grown into something that I think has a lot of potential to to help a lot of goalkeepers. Because, uh, you know, it's not just about goalkeeper gloves not just about t-shirts we've got the blog we've got the video blog the we just started the podcast we do training videos so that we're truly trying to reach all aspects of goalkeeping and inspire goalkeepers at all levels to realize mm. like there's a lot of different paths to being successful so you can't just you can't just like see david de Gea and be like i want to be him i want to do exactly what he did because there's, it's not, it's not going to be that path. You know, you got to carve your own path. And you're gonna, there's gonna be ups and downs. There's gonna right. be um, roadblocks. But as long as you stay persistent and consistent, you know, you're most likely going to be successful. Fair enough. Um, so we have a bunch of Twitter questions. By a bunch, I mean a handful, like five or six. Um, where do I want to start? Actually, yeah, no. This, this will, this will tie in. This will be great because you just get to tell me how wrong I am. Um, so both the guys on Talking Jacks ask you questions. Uh, so Alex uh, said, "What is the biggest misconception that fans and pundits have about goalkeepers?" So, if you ever wanted to put us on blast for being wrong about you all the time, here's your 
here's your setup. Oh, you know, it's you're gonna be wrong, but it's not gonna be in the way you think. The biggest misconception, the biggest problem I have with people who cover goalkeeping and goalkeepers in general, mm. they make comments to goalkeepers, is that they say there's absolutely nothing the goalkeeper could have done about that goal. Mm. Nothing irks me more than that because it's there's no statement that is any more wrong. Like there's all I feel like maybe not all the time. Some goals you you just have to <laughs> put your hand up and say you know that's a great strike. Mm, but sure. on ninety five percent of these goals that you watch Premier League on the weekend, Bundesliga, MLS game, pundit Taylor Twelman, he's one of the biggest. Uh, uh, pundits who does it and it, it annoys yeah. me so much he's always like oh there's absolutely nothing the goalkeeper had done about that there's plenty that the goalkeeper had done he just didn't save that one that doesn't mean he's a bad goalkeeper that doesn't mean he's constantly making mistakes but he he hasn't done well enough there um so it just it just annoys me because there's i feel like there's usually something a goalkeeper had done about it. it's just mm-hmm. like you don't understand goalkeeping enough to say oh well he you know his angle was a little bit off or oh he didn't get that extra step in or that push or so i mean it's i feel like it's kind of lazy punditry Mm. but i mean i can't fault people too much because they're not immersed in goalkeeping uh like i am fair enough yeah it's uh so basically what you're saying is we're giving way too much credit to the to the striker just at all at all at all times (laughs) Exactly. Okay. Exactly. I, there. Sometimes they put a top corner, and it's like you know what? You can't save that. But mm-hmm. most of the time, it's a good strike that could have been saved, possibly. It's everything before the actual. I guess we'll call it a save attempt that we're not kind of taking into account. Where it's hey, maybe if right, you back right. a step or two or whatever, you would have been able to get there. Okay. Right. Okay. All right. Fair enough. We've all been put on notice, everybody. So there, there you go. <laughs> um. Matty Dub, I'm gonna I'm gonna butcher this. Um, Clada Mahaha, I suppose. People got weird Twitter names, man. I don't know. Um, <laughs> are there? And, and uh, this is this might be like a goalkeeper union question for you because I know you guys all talk to each other. Because I, I don't think any of the well the Rhinos were, I guess, for the one year. Is there any noticeable effects of being on a USL team that's affiliated with an MLS team? Is the question. Um, I actually just had a conversation with a goalkeeper who is on a MLS2 team. And I think, I mean, I've had numerous conversations sure. with, with goalkeepers who have been on uh, MLS2 teams. And I think the main thing is it's just, it's it's kind of hard to get playing time mm. as much because a lot of the MLS2 teams like to give their first team goalkeepers who aren't getting a lot of games uh, games down with the second team and so it's kind of hard signing like if you're strictly signed to the usl team mm. uh i won't say it's it's not about merit or it's not about who's who's the better keeper because i mean no no team wants to win or no team wants to lose right, sorry right. but but it's it's not always like, it's not always you, it's not always fair that's just the way it is i mean that's sports in general but um it's just tough being in that environment when you're you're working hard every single day you're, you're playing well and then sometimes it may just be like they need to get that number three some games um so you just got to be patient yeah 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 i mean you know to to follow up there's a couple i think um mls two sides that don't sign a usl keeper 
at all. Right, because they've got the so, academy keepers, they've got the number three with the first team. So it's, it's like, what's yeah. what's really the point when you're trying to develop guys with that second team uh, to get yeah. to the first team? Um, so yeah, yeah. Um, second one from him: What role do team captains have at the pro level? And I guess I'll kind of follow up with you know, especially as a keeper. Um, what are you you looking for out of a captain? You know, especially if it's a guy who's not on the back line, who's not right there next to you. For me, I think I always think back when anybody asked me at a captain, um, the first person I think of was is Jeff Lerner. Um, when I was in New England, I trained in New England uh, in college a couple different times, and he was the person that stood out to me the most because he was just the most vocal leader. When things weren't going well, he was letting guys know like they need to pick up their level. He was r- basically running training without being the coach, and it was just the most noticeable thing that I took away from my time in New England. And so that's what I've always thought about when I think about a captain at the pro level. I want somebody who's a, who's a true leader, who's not afraid to get into guys and let them know like things need to be better you need to be better as a team we need to perform better and just lead by example uh going out and performing on a consistent basis obviously jeff lewinowitz has been in the league for i don't know how I many think years ever is what you're so for. yeah i think he <laughs> he may have started mls but he i mean he's performed at a consistent level he's done it in on multiple teams uh so that's what I. That's really what I look for in a captain. Someone who can, who can just be a leader in terms of their play, in terms of their uh, their vocal nature, and just just get guys inspired. Um, and I felt like he inspired me to train when I was up in New England. So that's what I. That's what I try to do with guys, even if I'm not a captain, to just yeah. try and get them to compete and, and play at a high level day in day out. And then the, the last one, and I'm kicking myself for not thinking of this and asking it to everyone because I think it's a great question and it's kind of a nice inside, you know, like it's something a little light. Um, what are you listening to after a win? What are you listening to after a loss? What are you listening to after a draw? Yeah. <laughs> uh, honestly, I'm listening to the same things, uh, sure. win, loss, or draw, because regardless of the result, I'm usually never happy. <laughs> Uh, so I just need something that's going to mellow me out, calm me mm. down. So I, I listen to a lot of Miguel, um, just, you know, just a smooth yeah. R&B, uh, just to, just to get me relaxed and, and calm me down. And then, you know, I'll, I'll just talk to my girlfriend or something like Fair that. Uh, so just keep it really mellow. Yeah. That's a, that's a true goalkeeper answer there. If anyone wants to know why why I like talking to goalkeepers, is because they shoot it fairly straight, and they're never happy. Um, <laughs> never. But, I mean, I can't remember the last time I came off the field and I was like, you know what, that was that was a great performance. <laughs> like I'm really happy with that. Um, so I mean, that's just as a that's not saying that's something everyone should be like. That's just I, something that. That's listen, I, I think it, you're in the majority there, if I'm honest. But you know, it yeah. is what it is. Brandon, I, I've taken up way too much of your time. Um, I feel like five minutes for me talking to a, a professional soccer player is too much of their time, but I digress. Um, let me let you plug your, your social, and then I will, uh, I'll thank you for coming, and we can get out of here. Well, hey, I appreciate you having no me on. Honestly, it, I've always wanted to, uh, to be on this podcast, and... Uh, I appreciate you you reaching out. So, um, like you said, I've 
I've got social media. Uh, my personal social media is DVO26. Um, that's on Twitter. That's on Instagram. And then we've got the Prime Focus Goalkeeping uh, social media pages, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Prime Focus GK. Um, and then we just recently launched uh, our own podcast, the Last Line Soccer Podcast. So go check that out. We're on the Beautiful Game Network as well as iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, uh, Spotify, Google Play, wherever you can find a, a podcast, uh, we should be on there. So appreciate you no having worries, me on. Man. It's been great talking to you, and I hope that we can uh, you know, do a couple podcasts in the future. Sure thing.